Just a couple of housekeeping things we want to take care of before we pray, before we get into the Word. What been good this morning so far? Um, this Wednesday we start back up with our uh, small group ministry. Now, how we've done it in the past is we have gone for a season of time meeting in, with the connect groups. Uh, right now we have uh, right now we have two that meet outside, and we ha- we'll have one that meets here, and we're working on. Uh, some other things, but how we've done it in the past is we've had a season of time where we meet and then we take a break and then we come back and we meet again. Well, what we're going to do this time is we're going to change it up just a little bit. The first Wednesday night of every month, so that'll be September, which would be, I mean, uh, August, which would be this Wednesday, September, October, November, and December. So we'll have five of these. We're going to meet the first Wednesday night of every month, we're going to meet in here and we're going to do some things. Uh, you know, corporately that we can't necessarily do on a Sunday morning uh, because of the atmosphere, but you can do it a little bit, get by with it a little bit easier on a Wednesday night. And uh, so the first Wednesday night of every month, we're going to meet here. But the other Wednesday nights, and we'll get the schedule out there to you as quick as we nail all that down, we're going to meet in our connect groups. And uh, connect groups have been a vital part of what we've what we've uh, been endeavoring to really cultivate in this church and in the culture of this church. You can't know somebody in five minutes on a Sunday morning. You can't get to know, even the 15 minutes that we sit out there has been good, it's been rich, and people have been really getting to know each other, but you still can't get to know each other like you can going to someone's house or sitting down with them and spending time with them. So we're going to be casting the vision for that this Wednesday night. So if you want more information, you're interested in and in really getting plugged in and, and getting to know some folks, come this Wednesday. We're going to be sharing. I'm going to have some folks kind of giving testimonies and sharing about Connect Groups. And then, of course, we're, we're going to announce it again next Sunday. And we'll have the schedules and we'll have the different Connect Groups out there so you guys can get involved. Um, but, but that's it. I just wanted to encourage you to really grab a hold of that. There's something that happens when you're sitting in a small group. See, in the book of Acts, they met from house to house. They broke bread together and they met at the synagogue. So there's three different dynamics that we're, you know, endeavoring to cultivate. And this dynamic on a Sunday morning is the easiest one because everybody's so used to it. Everybody, our culture is is geared towards what everything happens on a Sunday morning. But there's more that happens in conjunction with this that happens during the week. So I just wanted to encourage you in that. It's okay this morning. Well, stand with me. Let's go before the Lord in prayer, and then we'll get right into it. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord, that it is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Lord, we thank you for what you've done this morning already. Lord, the way that you've been moving and operating, and the words that's been brought forth, and the prayers and the and, and the things that you've done in our lives this morning already, Lord, we thank you. Just tell him thank you this morning in your own way. Lord, we thank you for this. Thank you, Lord. We honor you. We thank you. We say, worthy are you, Lord. We thank you for just blessing us this morning already. In the name of Jesus. Take your Bibles and hold them up. Let's just declare some things. Get our hearts ready and our spirits ready to just receive what the Lord wants to give to us this morning. Just take your Bibles and just say, this is my Bible. It's mine. 
is written to me is for my benefit, my instruction, my future, my destiny. I believe this is the undisputed Word of God. It is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I am what it says I am. Blessed, highly favored, child of the Most High King, fearfully and wonderfully made, which means I'm good looking. I'm not ugly. I'm not a mistake. I'm not a mistake. I am not a mistake. But I have a destiny and I have a purpose and I will to fulfill that purpose. And now I believe I will receive everything, not some of it, but all of it that he has for me this morning. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen, amen. Why don't y'all give you guys, give the, give the praise team, the three of them, a bland clap. Thank you. Didn't they do good this morning? I'm just going to tell you, it makes it real, it makes it a whole lot easier to, for them, those guys to lead us when the sheep are willing to be led. Can I get an amen from the praise and worship team? So I know that was good. We didn't, we didn't have everybody here, but man, he said, uh, <laughs> Michaels came up to me at the beginning. He said, look, we got three singers and uh, we got two guitarists and two of the singers are the guitarists. <laughs> and I said, well, that's okay. He said, I thought about doing an MTV Unplugged session. You know how they used to do that on MTV? Some of you people will be like, I can't believe you said MTV in church. But they used to do this unplug where they just would have an acoustic guitar and maybe some bongos or something like that. But wasn't it good this morning, just something different, you know? Amen, amen. Well, listen, turn to 1 Peter. You know what? Don't turn to 1 Peter yet. Put, turn to 1 Peter and put your finger there and turn to Psalm 127. I want to read this to you before we get into what I believe the Lord has for us this morning. Amen. 1 Peter, and then I want you to turn to Psalm 127. 1 Peter, and then Psalm 127. <clears throat> you know, this morning, the word, the word that I shared with her last night, it just was a word that came up, and it's a, it's a word from the, from the Word of God that we all would do good to just keep it before our memory. We, we have a mentality of constantly having to make something happen. Our society is performance driven. But in the kingdom of God, performance is relationship driven. Your performance is a direct reflection of your relationship and how much you've tapped into that relationship from Him. And everything that we have and everything that we do and everything that flows out of us flows out of us because of Him. And so in Psalm 127, David, who, remember, was a man after God's own heart. Isn't that right? That was, that was the David we're talking about. But it was also the David that basically committed, had the man killed and committed adultery and then tried to hide it. That, that, that's the man that God said was after 
his own heart. That don't make, I don't, I don't, that don't make sense. Come on now. David, man after God's own heart, listed in the hall of faith, King David, the adulterous murderer. Not anymore. Because as far as God's concerned, he don't even count that against him. So I'm just setting the tone for when we read this, okay? Psalm 127, you ready? Unless the Lord builds the house. Who builds the house? You know, we could stop, we just stop right there. And just that takes all the pressure right there. Just like, okay. Unless the Lord builds the house. It's not your responsibility. Turn to your neighbor and say, it's not your responsibility to build the house. Whose responsibility is it? So then what is our responsibility? That big spelling B word, cooperation. We work in cooperation and in conjunction with the master, the head of the church, King Jesus himself, who sent the Holy Spirit to lead and guide us. He said, I, I won't be with you forever, but I'm not going to leave you orphanless. I'm going to send somebody to come, and he's going to help you. He's going to be in you. I was with you, but he's going to be in you. And so we work in conjunction with the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. What do we work in conjunction with? We work in conjunction with him, which is in direct communication with Jesus, who himself said, I will build my church. I will build this house. It is not your responsibility to build. It is your responsibility to obey and to work and to labor with the Holy Spirit. It is not you. When you begin to take on the responsibility of trying to build and make something happen, you have just stepped outside the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Now, some of you, that just should free you, right? Just let all that go. You know, we're in the process of building a house. It is not my responsibility to build that house. Well, who's the supervisor? You're, you're looking at him. Who's the, everybody's been asking me, well, who's building your house? Well, let me say it this way. I'm responsible for overseeing it, but I'm not responsible for building it. He is. So what do we do? We work in conjunction with the Holy Spirit. See, when you get in that mindset, it takes all the pressure off of you to have to try to make something happen. And now you just, you just relate to the Holy Spirit and you do what he says. He says for you to do this, you do this. He says for you to call this, you call this person. Don't do this, do that. It's being led by the Spirit. Unless the Lord builds the house, who's responsible for building the house? I've talked to ministers and pastors, and, and they said, you know, we got to build the church. We gotta, I mean, we got to work. we got to make it happen. Listen, it's easy to get into that mindset. It really is. But what I see from the Word of God, everybody say New Testament. What I see Jesus saying is he turned to Peter, and he said, upon this rock, you will build the church. That's not what he said. What did he say? Who is going to build the church? Jesus. 
And he said in another place, he said, if I be lifted up, then I will give you, and, the, and if I be lifted up, if the signs and the advertisement and the billboards and the commercials be lifted up, it will draw people in to your church. What did he say? He said, if I be lifted up, there's a, there's a generation that has been unreached for the kingdom of God. And in order to reach that generation, part of what we're going to have to do is follow in conjunction with the Holy Spirit and in line with the Holy Spirit. The, this generation, the generation that we're... This, this generation and the generation after, the millennial generation, which is the ages uh, 35 to 20-something or 18s or something, the generation after that, which are all the younger kids, really have not developed their own generational um, characteristics yet. They're, they're getting there, but they haven't. To reach those generations, we're going to have to do things differently than we did 30 years ago. But whose responsibility is it for to come up with the stuff that we're supposed to do differently? Him, not us. So I'm going to ask you again, Psalm 127, unless who builds the house? They labor in vain who build it. This really isn't my message, but I guess it is. There's nothing wrong with labor. Everybody turn to your neighbor and say, there ain't nothing wrong with you working hard. But what work, what kind of work, and why are you working hard in the first place? You remember a couple of weeks ago, the word that came forth, I think, was something like this. We don't try to do something for the kingdom of God, but we do things because things need to happen. There's a difference in that mentality. There's work that needs to be done, so therefore I put my hands to that work. But I'm not working to make something happen. I'm working because things need to happen. Jesus said, look into the harvest, it's ripe, but pray ye therefore for God to send who? Workers. I mean, I could tell you, I'd testify to you. The problem is not resources. The problem ain't money. The problem is not that we don't have enough jobs. I was talking to a guy the other day and he told me, he said, I have stopped the, the development and the growth of my business because I have to turn jobs down. What? Because he doesn't, he doesn't feel that's the direction that he needs to go with his company because it's at a place where he can devote the amount of time that the Lord's leading him to devote to ministry while at the same time overseeing his business. In the kingdom of God, it's the same way. We don't lack work. It's not like we don't have a job to do. It's not like there's not a lot of stuff that we need to be doing. The problem is not the work. The problem is not the resources to get that work accomplished. The major hurdle is the same hurdle that Jesus dealt with. He said, look, until the harvest is ripe. Listen, guys, it's ripe. You think for one minute that, there's, we, that we couldn't fill up every chair in this building with people out there who are hurting? You and I run into them every day. The problem is not them. There's plenty of them. And it's not money. It's not resources. Because God would make that available just as quick as we all step and say, here I am, Lord, what's my assignment? I was talking to a missionary the other day, and he said, I've never been in a place where I don't have my next assignment. 
And I said, your next assignment is to rest. You just came off the battlefield and you scarred up and bloodied up and everything else, man. Your assignment is to rest. What's our assignment? It's not to make it happen. Unless the Lord builds a house, they that labor, labor in vain who build it. In other words, what does it mean to be laboring in vain? It means you're wasting your time and your energy trying to make something happen that he never created us to do in the first place. He created us for leadership. He created us for oversight. He created us to work, but he created us to work in conjunction with the one who directs us how and when and what to do. The watchman, listen to this, unless the Lord guards the city, the watchmen stay awake in vain. It is not your responsibility to take the burden of the responsibility over in making sure that everybody's safe and everybody's secure. Now that's his job. You and I simply function in conjunction. Function in conjunction. <laughs> I didn't mean to do that. Function in conjunction with the Holy Spirit. We are to guard. We are to protect. We are to watch. The elders, uh, the first Peter says, first Peter 5 says, Let the elders among you shepherd. A shepherd watches. He's always got his eye. But we're not doing that because we feel like that's our responsibility and it's our uh, primary. Pr- no, we're doing that because who told us to do that? So now we step into the flow of the anointing. Now when we watch, we're not watching because we're trying to make something or because we're trying to do something. We're watching because the Holy Spirit is now engaged in that activity. And now we see things that we might not have seen before because we're functioning in conjunction with the Holy Spirit and in His Word. It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, One translation, this translation says to eat the bread of sorrows for he gives his beloved rest. What does that mean? That means, go back to Matthew chapter 6. Why do you worry? No one has ever added an inch to their height by worrying. Actually, it does the opposite. Let me read it from you. Let me read it to you from a couple of different translations. The New Living Translation says, Unless the Lord builds a house, the work of the builders is wasted. Unless the Lord protects a city, guarding it with centuries will do no good. In other words, if you don't understand and function with the mentality, let me say it this way, that the Lord is watching over you and you just are functioning with the Holy Spirit, with Him to watch over you then what you're doing, you're staying up late for nothing. It is useless, everybody say useless, for you to work so hard from early morning until late at night, anxiously working for food to eat, for God gives rest to his loved ones. I was reading a story years ago about a lady in World War II that uh, when the bombs begin to hit, she was in her house And she went to sleep. And they said, aren't you worried? Aren't you fearful? I mean, there's bombs everywhere. The buildings are crumbling all around you, and you're going to sleep. And she said, well, the Bible says that he neither sleeps 
nor slumbers, so I don't see any use in the both of us staying awake all night. And the testimony was that out of all those houses, hers was the only one that was left standing. He watches over you and me. He protects you and me. He guards you and me. And we need to make sure that we constantly keep ourselves in check with what He is telling us to do and not what the world or what religion is telling us to do. Let me read it to you one more time in a different translation. The Good News translation says this, If the Lord does not build the house, the work work of the builders is useless. If the Lord does not protect the city, it does no good for you to stand guard. It is useless to work so hard for a living, getting up early and going to bed late. For the Lord provides for those He loves while they are sleeping. And in our society, in in our mentality, it is, listen to me, this is, a, this is a booger. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, this is something to grab a hold of to and try to change. The mentality is performance-driven, and the mentality is that you've got to do it, and that's the wrong mentality. Now, 1 Peter, you got your finger there? Turn there. I said all that. That was my intro. Now, let's get into what? Setting the stage for that, I want you to turn to 1 Peter. And I want you to hear the words of Peter. 1 Peter chapter 2. Now he's talking about the cornerstone. He's talking about Jesus. He's talking about the living stones. He says in verse 5, You also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house. Who's doing the building? He is. A holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through who? Jesus Christ. Not through your own works. Verse 9, you ready? But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Now that's written to every one of us. If you ever thought in your life that you didn't have a purpose and you didn't have a destiny and maybe you was an accident, I just read that. From the Bible. Everybody say the Bible. And it says you're a chosen generation. A royal priesthood. You're not just a priest. You're royalty. What's that got to do with Psalm 127? I wanted to make sure that you and I get our mindset in the right frame and context. In other words, you could say it like this. You could say that as we understand the Lord builds the house and the Lord's in charge and He guards and He protects and we simply function in conjunction with Him, now we step into our royalty and our priesthood and we simply administer to the world what they can't yet see. What is a priest designed to do? to stand in the gap between the sinner 
and a holy God. That's what we've been taught. But really, what a priest, what we're designed to do is stand in the gap for those who don't know that they've also been made holy and bridge the gap between them and their estranged father who they don't know yet. That's a big difference. Our goal, our job, our responsibility, our mandate is to stand in the gap between the one who does not yet know what has been the price that has been paid to introduce them to the estranged father that they've never met. So now when we do that, now when we step into that royal priesthood place and position, we no longer function in the mentality that we used to. Let me ask you this, and I'm going to keep asking you this question until we close, but how are you carrying yourself? How do you carry yourself? When Jesus was here, not only was Jesus heir to the throne by two ways. Jesus was heir to the throne by two ways. He was heir to the throne through... um, through David and through Samuel. He was heir to, in other words, he was doubly heir to the throne. Now, he didn't just have one way, he had two ways that he was heir to the throne, and yet he did not take up and mandate and demand his throne, but yet he carried himself like such. When he walked in this earth, he fellowshiped with people that didn't know necessarily who he was, but there was something different about him. And people would go, who are you? And he would say, woman, if you knew who you were talking to, you wouldn't ask me to give you water. You you would ask me to give you water that you would never thirst again. And she said, I want some. I don't even, what are you talking? He carried himself in such a way where he represented the kingly priesthood that he came from, and people knew it. They just didn't know how to, they just couldn't put their finger on it, but there was something about Jesus that was different. You've got that something. We've got that something. Let me me say it this way, okay? We are kings and priests not because it was conferred to us or inherited, but because that is our nature and character from the Lord Jesus Christ. When Jesus was here, he was normal among normal men and women, but yet there was something that set him apart and they treated him like a priest and king because of the way he carried himself. How are you and I carrying ourselves? How do you carry yourself? The the word chosen means this. It means set apart. It means sanctified. It means consecrated. Now I'm fixing to get to the good one. You ready? It means set apart from a common to a sacred use. In other words, what God's saying is you're not common. So don't act common. Come on now. You're not common. You're uncommon. 
And the difference is, this is, where, this is where we stand in that place. We don't stand in that gap and say, well, you're a sinner, but I'm saved. That's not what uncommon people do. Uncommon people share the uncommon gospel. You're not common. You're living like you're common. You're thinking like you're common. And you're functioning like you're common. But you ain't met your daddy who's made you uncommon. How are you and I carrying ourselves? We're not common people. And so I wanted to start a series about the priesthood of the believer because if there's something that's ever been present that needs to be present now more than ever, and it's the authority and the priesthood of the believer. You and I are called to bridge the gap between the unknowns and make them known to their father. Period. Let me give you some more. The royal priesthood means kingly, believers like Christ. It's like Melchizedek. See, Melchizedek was, in the Old Testament, was the type and shadow of what Jesus was bringing. Because Melchizedek didn't come, they, they, they cannot trace his lineage, but yet he was a king and a priest. And, they can, and so he comes from that order of Melchizedek, which was never begun, because he was demonstrating the shadow, type and shadow of what would manifest, which would be King Jesus, who stripped himself of that kingly and priestly role, came and made himself common, so that you and I could be uncommon. Well, I'm so tired of people trying to fit Christians in a box like we're some subset culture. No, we are the culture, dadgummit. We are the culture. We are the culture changers. We are the ones who are sent to change the nations. And to demonstrate to people not only our uncommonness, but to relate to them so that we can pull them out of what's common and place them into what is uncommon because that's their position and place that was bought and paid for. When God said, okay, when God said, be holy as I am holy, he's not talking about following a set of rules. What he's saying is, just don't be common. Romans tells us that we don't have to be common. He, when, when Paul would begin to talk in Romans, and he lined everything up and he said that sin has no hold on us, and they would say to him, what are you saying? We should sin so that grace abounds much more? And what did he say? He would say, no, that is stupid. Why would you who have died to sin live in it any longer? You're not common. You're uncommon. And the greatest secret that the enemy has, has, has stolen, the greatest, let me say it this way, uh, in other words, the greatest blanket of shroud of deception that he has placed upon the church is the fact that sin still has a hold of you. And it doesn't. Because you're not common. Everybody say, I'm not common. How are you carrying yourself? Nathan, King David, Nathan, and Solomon. Okay, Jesus had every right to the throne from two ways. From he was uh, born of the sons of David, Nathan, and Solomon. From Solomon came Joseph, and from the line of David came Mary. He double claimed to the throne. Double claim. 
And yet he moved among the people as if he were common. But everything he touched and everything he did said, I am not common. (laughs) You and I are to integrate ourselves into society and stand in the subway or stand, okay, stand on the subway or in subway getting your sandwich. You are to stand in that place and and it just resonates. I'm uncommon. It's like uh, when Harold was here, he talked about the husband and wife being, whoa, 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 whoa. Remember that? He was talking about being in sync. And so you stand in that place, and you're standing in line. And just picture this for a second. The very power and nature and authority of Jesus Christ himself conferred on you and me by the power of the Holy Spirit, and we've taken hold of that because of our belief. Now we stand in that place, and it just, whoa, 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 whoa. And people just, what is that? It's that uncommonness. Everything that Jesus did, everything that he said and everything he did, my God screamed, I am not common. But yet he related to the common people. Why? Because he had a, he has a, pur- he had a purpose. He had a message. It says, uh, it, says in, in, uh, it says in Romans, it says, For we know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for our sakes became poor, that we through his poverty might be made rich. He took and stripped that which was rightfully his and gave it up and sacrificed it to become the father of many of all of us so that we may be conferred and have been. Listen, have been. Everybody say have been. Not going to be, not will be, Well, you need to ask forgiveness for your sin. No. The Bible says for you to confess your sins one to another. This sin issue has been dealt with. It's been conferred on the the blood. The blood of Jesus has conferred all of that, taken care of all of that. Now all we do is just walk in that uncommonness. That stuff that the enemy's tried to beat you up with in your mind. Well, you know, that thing you do. Or that thing you did. Just think about this for a moment. Has no power over you except that of deception. It's like you've been living with this guy or this woman or this person's been living in your house and you've thought all along they're part of the family and then your daddy shows up and goes, who's this? And you go, well, this is Uncle Saul. Daddy, it's your brother. And your daddy goes, I don't know who that is. And he walks over there to him and goes, who are you? Why don't you just get your stuff and get on out? And then all everybody's standing around there going, well, we thought he was a part of the family. No, he's lying. Well, you can't stop that. You can't break that. You can't do that. Lie, lie, lie. Because you're not common. You're uncommon. And the reality and the performance and the ability, okay, the reality is that you're not common. The truth is that you're not common. But in your mind, the perception is you're common. That's what I'm saying to you. The enemy has lied to us to tell us these things, and it's not true. We're uncommon. Now, 
how are we going to bridge the gap for people if we don't even know it and recognize it and walk in it in ourselves? That's what royal priesthood is about. The word peculiar. You know, I always thought that just meant weird. Can I just be honest with you? Weird. What God, we're a royal priesthood, a chosen generation, a weird people. That's what I always thought it meant was weird, you know. Well, you have to forgive Langston. He's a little peculiar. You know what I'm saying. You want me to tell you what that word really means? I'll just act like I knew this all along. And then so when you leave, you can act like you knew this all along too, okay? Peculiar people, literally a people for an acquisition. That is, whom God chose to be peculiar. In other words, we're purchased, literally acquired. God's peculiar treasure above others means a people acquired or purchased to himself in a peculiar or unique manner. You're not weird. I know that, you know, some people may think you're weird. But the word peculiar means that when, when eternity stands and looks at us, they go, huh? In other words, the Son of God? Who is man that you are mindful of him? That's what the Scripture says. That you would make him a little lower than angels. I know people have said angels. That's not the correct translation. It's really Elohim, which means a little lower than Are you saying we're like God? I sure am. 100% bona fide USDA stamped and approved just like my daddy. When God said in Genesis, he said, let us make man after our image and after our likeness. He didn't say they would make multiple gods. He said he would make us after our, his image and his likeness. That means you look and smell and talk and walk like your daddy. There ain't nothing common about that. We're uncommon. Everybody say uncommon. Malachi 3.17 said this, They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, on the day that I make them my jewels. That word is peculiar. On the day that I do something peculiar and make them my jewels. I will have what I want. That's what God said. I made them and I'll buy them back. And he did. So he did it in the most peculiar, weird, obstruct way that we don't understand. That's why we're called peculiar people, because of what we would have been purchased from. We've been purchased and bought and translated for a destiny. That's the peculiarness that is about us. Now you ready? I'm closing with this. That we would what? What's all this for? We're going to go to the bridge the gap. What's all this for? So that we may show forth. You ready? Publish abroad. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Hide it under a bush. Oh, no. Y'all remember that from Sunday school? Come on. Am I the only one that did that? Hide it under a bush. Oh, no. I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine. Let it shine. Let it shine. Come on now. This little light of mine. Why are we shining? So they can see what? I wish that we had everything done in here that we want to do already. Because, you know, we want to dim some of the light so we can control the light. But I wish we could just black this place out 
one Sunday. Just black it out where you couldn't see your hand in front of your face. And then somebody lighted a little candle. How much light does it take to shine a light in darkness? Just a little bit. This little light of mine. Why are we shining? So we can publish. You were never created to go home and not say nothing to nobody about anything and just come to church and pay your tithes and be like, oh, thank you, Jesus, I'm saved. No. You were designed so that when you come in, I'm going to listen to me, you were designed so that when we come, the church was built and designed by Jesus himself so that when you come in here, I throw a little kerosene on, no, I throw some gasoline on your fire. And now you and now you're on fire. And you come up and you get, what, what, my, my oldest daughter, Hannah, is 10. And my youngest daughter is, four, is, th- is three. She'll be four, but she's three. She's four. She'll be five. She's three. I refuse to let any more of my children have any more birthdays. it. She's three. She's four. She's four, but in my heart, she's three. My oldest daughter has the uncanny ability to juice that four-year-old up. You know what I'm saying? I mean get her wound tighter than a banjo string. I mean she can juice her up. I mean she'll have her run, she'll have her running around smiling and laughing one minute, and the next minute she'll irritate her to such a degree she's ready to pull her hair out. She just has that ability to juice her up. That's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to juice each other up. The, 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 the kingdom of God was never designed for you and I to go home and just have our little light. No, it was designed for you and I to juice each other up, to go out there, bless God. I carry an uncommonness with me. And so when you leave this place today and you go to Old Times or you go to Ruby Tuesdays or you go to Olive Garden, Lord, help all them people in there because you share the uncommonness of the power of God with you. Whether you think you do or not, you do. The difference is that we just have not tapped into all of it. If we only knew, I remember, uh, man, I cannot remember, was it Martin Luther or was it uh, Charles Spurgeon that said the knowledge of the effect of the life of God upon the born-again recreated human spirit is yet in its infancy. The knowledge, uh, let me, uh, you, in other words, you can say it this way, the knowledge of what happened when the life of God comes in to an unregenerated spirit and, and, and makes it new again. Re, 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 uh, you're born again, comes in and makes it a new creature that has never existed. That's what the 2 Corinthians 5, 17 literally means. A creature that has never existed before now. The knowledge of what happens at that moment upon that spirit of you and me, is yet in its infancy. And yet, it's there. Stop. I'm going to declare this to you now. Stop living as common people. I don't mean prideful. I don't mean look at me, look at how special I am. No, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm saying stop letting the world... Um, we had this illustration when I was in campus outreach when I was in college okay 
Now, how hard is it if I'm here and I'm uncommon and I'm sent to help her and I'm trying to help her and I'm trying to pull her up? How easy is it for her to pull me down? It's a lot easier for her to pull me down than it is for me to pull her up, right? We don't operate from this position as a position of superiority. I'm better than you. No, I'm like, look here, it's, it's cold down there. Come on up here. That's what position we're supposed to operate in. We don't operate from a prideful spirit, from a position of superiority, but no, we operate from a position of uncommonness. And our goal is to get more people that in their mind and in their life and in their reality and the way they function and the way they walk, they walk common. Our goal is to get them to see you're not common. You've been lied to all your life. You're not common. You're uncommon. You've been set apart. You're a royal priesthood, a chosen generation, a chosen generation. A holy nation. His own special. Everybody say, I'm special. I'm the disciple the Lord loved. That's what John said. John never said, you know, John said, I'm the disciple the Lord loved. He didn't say he was the only disciple. He just identified himself as the disciple that the Lord loved. You are a special people that you may proclaim, that you may broadcast, that you may publish His good works. Why? So that we can bridge the gap between the common and the uncommon. They don't know they're uncommon. Because the enemy has no new tactics. Right? He's the same Uh, 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 he's the same as he's always been. Powerless, gutless, and cowardly. And so what happens? He lies. And he says, you're not special. You're not chosen. You were an accident. Fill in the blank for whatever he wants. And every bit of it is a lie because he knows the moment you and I step into that place and we begin to function, he's got no power over us now. Now he's lost his power. Stand with me. I'm going to stop there for today. And over the course of the, of the next few weeks, as, as the Lord directs, we're going to talk about more characteristics of priesthood, kingly priesthood. What does it mean? What, what does it look like? But I want you to leave today, and I want you to think of yourself as one way and one way only. You ain't common. You are uncommon, and you're chosen for a specific purpose and a specific destiny that only you can fulfill. Nobody else can do what you're called to do. Nobody else can, can, can go to the places that you're called to do. Yeah, the Lord can, and the Lord will get people to go to the four corners of the earth, but His plan and His design and His destiny is for you to step into your place. And as a pastor, and as a church, and as what we believe the Lord's opening up for us in the future, we got to do this together. 
But until you and I recognize and realize that we've got the uncommonness to do that together, we're not limited. We're not common. We're uncommon. The, the enemy is going to continue to keep us down. And that ain't going to happen. That ain't going to happen with us. Father, we thank you. Lord, I thank you that we are not common. That we step into our position and our place of authority because of what you did, not because of what we did. Hallelujah, you are not common. Thank you, Lord, that we are not common. We are set apart, specifically designated for a specific purpose. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Oh, I just pray. I just unleash the revelation that no more, uh, we don't carry ourselves anymore like common folk. We carry ourselves like the royal priesthood that we are. We now walk and talk and act and conduct business from day to day and communicate with one another and in, in fellowship with one another and within the world that we communicate with those things and in that mindset that we are not normal. We are a chosen royalty that walks and talks like Jesus. Lord, help us to emulate that. Help Help that very revelation and the very life of God that lives within us just ooze out of our pores as we leave today. That it will infect people, that people will see, that they will begin to see for the, for the first time in a long time, they will begin to see the things in our lives that are different, that they would begin to see the church, us, rise up into that place that you have foreordained and destined us to walk, that we are generational changers. We are culture changers. We are world changers because of your power and your grace and your call upon our lives. Thank you for it, my Father.